Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast now. Uh, I'm real excited about today. Oh, but first I better go over our sponsors. Okay, that's all of them. Did I miss any? Nailed all of them. Okay, there's none. Um, we are here with uh, Macy Burnett, one of my favorite people in the whole world. She is about as unique and uh, happy and positive and... Just a super, super, uh, just a fun person. Our family is semi pretty much adopted her in. <laughs> She's kind of a garlock. Uh, she was one of my, she was one of Maddie's bridesmaids. She went to a dance with Porter. Just a really cool girl that our family's really enjoyed getting to know better. But um, the topic today isn't that fun. It's a topic that's pretty serious and one that most people aren't really willing to talk about that much, but Macy's been willing to kind of go there with us. It's about suicide, suicide prevention, stuff like that, and and we're going to go through her experience. So I super appreciate you coming, Macy, because I know, like I said, most people don't want to. And I want to make this one comment before, and that is there's going to be maybe people who listen to this who have had somebody commit suicide and that doesn't mean that they did something wrong, that if they would have, you know, these are things that hopefully help, but there are some awesome families and some awesome parents where kids end up committing suicide. And then there's really some weak parenting out there a lot of times, and sometimes your kids turn out awesome. So I just want to make sure people know that we're not saying if you would have done all this, uh, that wouldn't happen because that's absolutely not true. But um, anyway... Macy, welcome. Hi, thank you. <laughs> Macy is 20 now. Yes. I think I met you when you were barely turning 16. Yep, I was 15 turning 16. Wow. Um, tell us about your life, like how you grew up, what was, how that was. Okay. Um, when I was younger, I was just off the charts everywhere, like ADHD all over the place. Like... I was cutting my own hair, I was just running around, drawing on the walls, just doing whatever I wanted. And so that got me into a lot of trouble in school. Like, when I started, like, first grade, I had a teacher come up, and she took me out into the hall, and she looked at me and she said, you won't sit still, and I don't have the patience for you, so I don't want to teach you, because you're not going to learn. How old were you? I was in first grade, so I was, like, <laughs> that teacher nailed it. six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Me being, like, super, like, I don't know, stubborn, I was like, all right, you won't teach me. I won't learn then. So then just, like, throughout school, like, I never learned how to tell time. Like, I can't I can't read a clock to save my life. I just know that there's numbers in the, all the, over the place. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I didn't learn how to read until I was in seventh grade. Um, I learned how to memorize what words meant what. So, like, if I saw it, I would know what it was, but I wouldn't know how to read it. Um, so, like, wow. I had sight words that I, like, memorized. So I could get through school, but it was, like, all fake. So I just never really learned. And just kind of, I was always in trouble. Just people were always putting me down because I was always just so, I guess, all over the place. And nobody really knew how to handle it. So my mom and my dad, like, would put me in like sports, like uh, my dad called me his little football player. And it was because I was just like so like running around all the time. They tried putting me in soccer, um, but I didn't 
fall in love with anything until I went into figure skating and that I really loved like it just I don't know it like got all of my anxiety like gone and it helped me to feel like free I guess um but then it got too intense when I was way too young so like when I was like um 13 I had my coaches who were Russians they asked me or they asked my parents they said we want Macy to move to Estonia with us and like they wanted to take me out of like my home they wanted to take me out there and I I was like yeah I'm all for it I'm all for it but my parents were like no we want her to stay here we want her to have a normal life or try to because I had been homeschooled for a year so I would get up at 5 a.m and I would drive to Salt Lake because we lived in Ogden and we would drive to Salt Lake so that I could skate from 6 a.m. until about 9 p.m. every day. And I did all, all online classes. Like that's in eighth grade, seventh grade, ninth grade, like all the grades. Um, and then my family, we moved out of Ogden and we moved down to Farmington. And in Farmington, that's where I started going back to school when I was in ninth grade. And that's when I started to like get depressed and stuff because I couldn't skate as much um, because I had, I had gotten injured, but I didn't know I was injured. Like I had hurt my ankles and so it would hurt to skate, but I just kept going because I was like, I love this, I can't stop. Um, and so I just skated all the time, I guess, but it got to a point where I couldn't stand anymore. And so then I had to quit skating and school just became super hard. Like I was the new kid again, it had been the 13th time I had moved. Um, and so I was just like, I'm alone again. Like I have nobody. I've been pulled out of my ice skating world because that was all I knew for so long. So then when I was put into like public school, I was like, I don't know how to act around these people. I don't know what to do. And so I like would try and like meet people and talk to them, but I couldn't ever like connect with them on like any level, I guess. And so then, um, I fell into a group of friends that wasn't the best group of friends, but they were like the outcasts. So I was like, oh, I guess I belong there since I don't know where I go. So I just like stuck with them and hung out with them. And that just kind of led me down like a path that wasn't the best path, I guess. Cause then when I got into my sophomore year of high school, I went to Davis for my sophomore year. That's when like my depression really kicked in. That's when I was just like, I don't feel worth anything. I don't feel like I can do anything because I just kind of gave up on myself because I was like, I had to quit skating because I couldn't do it. I just felt like I couldn't do anything. Um, and so, and I had been bullied at Davis like by tons of people, like my car had been egged. Um, I had people like key my car all the time. So, and I was just like a little sophomore and I was like, I don't even know any of these people. What did what did that mean to you when they were bullying you? Were you thinking she doesn't fit in or she's too pretty or she's <laughs> what what do you think that was? I why'd they target you, you think? I honestly just thought they didn't like me. Just because I was like the new kid that was like nobody knew him and I just felt like I was doing something wrong, like I was just kind of in the way. So I was like I'm so sorry, like, I don't feel like I belong here. Like, I just felt so out of place. 
And so then I transferred to Viewmont, and at Viewmont, that's when I started my junior year. And that's when I had a little bit of a mental breakdown. I felt completely worthless. I just kind of gave up on myself because I was fighting with my parents all the time. I felt like I couldn't do anything in school because I was struggling in every class. I just felt like a complete failure. And so my, so I tried to take my sleep medication um, and I took an overdose of it. Well, the, we're, hold on. I'm out. Holding on. We're, you're holding on. We're going to get to that in a second. Okay. This is what's kind of amazing when you tell that story. It doesn't really paint a picture that any of us would have ever guessed. What I mean by that is, Maddie, when we post this, are we going to put a picture of her on there somehow? Can we? Do? So you'll see. Macy's about as pretty as a 20-year-old girl. <laughs> um, she's about as athletic as any girl I've ever met. She hasn't even brought up dance. She's a oh. crazy, crazy dancer. I've seen her ice skate on video. But um, when I used to meet with her a little bit, uh, I was doing yoga. I, I did yoga a little bit because I was preparing for a race. And I remember telling you, showing you, check out this pose. It's, I think it was called the dragonfly pose. It's one that usually takes people like a year or so to get to. And you're like, oh, you mean this? And you just busted it out right there. <laughs> my, um, so when you talk about all this stuff that's going, that was going on underneath the surface, it blows me away, really. Because to think that you thought you weren't smart, to think that you thought that you wouldn't fit in, um, is, is a, actually comes as a, big surprise. I mean, I do know you. I know your story really well, but just to hear it, 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 it doesn't match up with what you just look like and how you come across. <laughs> but, um, so for a person like that, I mean, how dark did things get? They got to the point of where I just, I would listen to like the saddest music. Like it was honestly, um, music that you would hear that's like emo, I guess, yeah. emo. Um, it would always talk about like dying and stuff, like how uh, people are always hiding stuff underneath. Um, I, it got to the point where I just wanted to like, I wanted the pain to stop, so I would cause myself pain. So I'd give my, like harm myself in ways mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to show it in another way. Does that make sense? Are you like referring to self-harm kind of thing? Yeah. cut? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I did it mostly on my hips because I was like, I don't want people to see people it on my it. arms or my legs. So explain that just for a second. A lot of people don't understand that. Like, uh, I've heard lots of people explain it, but what's your take on to get rid of pain, you cause yourself real pain? What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? It's kind of like a release. Like, you would, you would just like, you can't control anything in your life, you feel like. So the one thing you can control is your own pain that you cause yourself. So like you would hurt yourself so that it would distract you from the other pain that you couldn't control. That's, that's a great explanation, I think. So it's kind of like the pain you're feeling, you'd, you'd rather transfer it to a cut pain. Yes, like, an like actual a physical wound. pain. Yeah, mm. instead of an emotional one that you can't control. Right. That's... So why don't you go into... 
what actually happened um, and, and how that all turned out. Okay. So I overdosed on my own sleep medication, and the doctor said that my heart had stopped like three or four times because of how much I took. So we go back to yeah. you're just at the end of the day, you normally take some medication. Mm -hmm. You, what were you thinking? I honestly, um, so it happened on New Year's Eve, and I took my medication and I was like, I'm just so tired, I don't want to wake up again. So I just want to sleep through this. And I just don't want to wake up, and everyone will be better off without me. I wrote everybody in my family letters. I told them how much I loved them. I told them I was sorry. I was like, I'm so sorry that I just have always fought with you, that I didn't get along with you. I'm so sorry that I was just here. I'm so sorry for my own existence, because I just felt like I was a failure. So you wrote these letters and like put them in your nightstand or something? Yeah, so I put them um, on my bedroom floor, like by my door. So you weren't just trying to sleep for a couple of days. You were calling it, you were going for the I was, end. I was ready to die, yeah. So when you took those pills and your body started getting tired, how, I mean, did that start to scare you? Honestly, no, it didn't scare me. I... What was honestly terrifying was like, at that moment, it's like, I could die now, or I could live, and all I have to do is just like, take this handful of pills. Like, that was probably the scariest moment trying to make yourself do it. Like, that is the hardest thing. And that's what scared me the most. Um, but I, I'm very, I'm now relieved that it didn't work, but at the time, I was not happy about it. So tell me, so... You obviously fell asleep. Yes. And then? So I fell asleep, and I didn't wake up for like 12 hours or something. And so my mom had my friend wake me up, and like, uh, he couldn't get me to get up. Like, I wasn't functioning or anything. And he tried to get me to stand up, and I couldn't stand up either. And he was trying to get me to walk into my mom's room, and I couldn't even walk in there. So I like crawled into my mom's room, and because everything was distorted, like, I couldn't even get my brain to, like, function. Um, I remember I tried to stand up and I, like, almost passed out because, like, I couldn't even hold myself up. Um, but I remember that my friend, he got out a card game and he made me play cards with him to stay awake. And he, like, was like, okay, just play cards with me until we can get you to the hospital. Like, um, my mom kept asking me if I did anything and I was like, nope, didn't do nothing. I didn't do anything, I promise. And that was a lie, because like, I did something. Um, but after I told her what I had done, that's when they started to like, okay, just keep her awake, don't let her fall asleep. They called poison control. Um, and then they drove me up to the University of Utah. And that's when they put me into an intensive care unit for people that tried to commit suicide. So when you woke up and knew that it didn't work, how'd that feel? I was so angry. I felt so angry at my parents. Um, I was super sad. Like, I felt so depressed because I was like, I just don't want to feel any more pain. I just don't want to cause anybody else pain. I just want it all to end now. Um, so 
it was just like, I felt like, oh no, now I'm an even bigger burden. Uh, that, wow, that's, wow, that's sad. That's, before you felt like you were um, something that you had to apologize for to everybody, and now you're having tried to kill yourself and it didn't work, and you got your family wild, all wound up. And uh, So when you're talking about this now, thinking about it, how does it feel? Um, it feels weird, like, because I couldn't have imagined myself older than 18. Like, if you had asked me back then, I couldn't have imagined myself making it to 18. And now I have never felt happier. Like, I feel like I've accomplished so much more than I ever thought I could. In the short four years I've known you, you have done a ton. I mean, I remember when graduating from high school was a question. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we weren't too sure about if that was going to happen. And then you really buckled down, got ta- that taken care of, made the dance team, uh, graduated. You've done your, how far are you into college now? I have my Associates of Psychology. See, that's just amazing. And now you're going into this field. <laughs> exactly what this field means for people like, <laughs> like what you've gone through. Um, so so you went to uni. Yes. How was that? Uh, it was kind of terrible. Yeah. I did not like it. Um, they put me in, they put you in scrubs. They don't let you wear like your own clothes. Um, and you like don't get shoes or anything like that. Um, and just everybody there is, they're not straight. They're any other type of sexuality. And that is very big. So if you're like straight or something like that, they kind of, uh, look down, down. So do they kind of say that you're not being open and honest if you're uh, if you're saying that you're straight? Yeah, like I I would say like I'm straight. I have like my own like religious standards and stuff like that. And they'll go, Are you sure? Are you sure you're not covering up? Are you sure you're not trying to hide that you are bisexual or that you're a lesbian or that you're Anything else? So, first of all, uni is uh, an inpatient place up at, up at the University of Utah that uh, deals with, obviously, suicidal-type uh, clients. But So, they basically... So, is it kind of their theory that you were... I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it's not... I, I've got some stats here, but... Um, kids that are uncertain about their sexual orientation are three times higher uh, potential of trying to kill themselves. And so I don't know if that's the route they were going. What did you feel like they were going for? Um, I honestly felt like they were just trying to make me come out, even Mm -hmm. though I didn't have anything to come out about. So did you kind of, did you feel like I got a, Go down this road to shut them up, or what? What was your? What'd you do? Um. Well, so what happened was, they just got into my head about talking about how they're, like, how it's okay to be like that, and how you should always, like, just be open about it. And like, that doesn't bother me if somebody else is, but like, don't tell me how I should feel and mm-hmm. what I should think and what I should like. 
that you felt like you couldn't progress in the in the program unless you kind of went down that road, like it would have made them happy. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's uh okay. You know, Macy, we're talking just like really openly about some stuff that I can't even imagine how hard it is for you. you I've asked you some tough questions and, and you're um, been super open. I really appreciate it because, you know, there's just a lot of kids out there that are dealing with it. And I'll tell you, I don't know, had I not known any of your history and I just met you, I would say that girl is the furthest away from being sad, from being hopeless, from being anything I've ever met. In fact, she might need some pills to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's such so. Far, I remember meeting with you a few times, and you would sit upside down in your chair, <laughs> like you'd sit on your head. And well, it's more comfortable. It is, more, and then then you would try to find things under the couch, and then you would. <laughs> I mean, it was you were so full of life that to get to that point is. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate being super honest about it. So, what kind of things, when you were going through that process, did not work? I think everybody, the, the weird thing about, um, like, this field, psychology, it's actually something everybody tries to do. You know, everybody wants to say the right thing. When somebody dies, what do you say? When somebody, what are the right things to say? What stuff did not work? Like, what did people say to you that you went, I know you're trying, but that didn't help? Um, what didn't help was when they would just tell me, like, you know, you're doing your best. Like, you're trying, you're, you're just doing, you're doing good. Like, when they would just, like, say that, you're like, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel like I'm doing good. You mean you thought they were trying to, like, brainwash you into just saying you're doing good? Yeah. Like, they would just try and tell you, like, over and over, like, you're doing good. Like, you're trying your best. You're doing good. And you just think... But I don't feel like I'm doing good. I want to feel like I'm doing good, okay. like I can get somewhere. That's interesting. Anything else that people would do? That um, They would want us to talk about everything that was going on. Like, it helps to talk, but when you don't let anybody, like, process it for themselves, then how are you supposed to understand yourself? Does that make sense? It does. That's deep. Yeah. What things did work? Um, what worked was when I, so I was put in a room that was called a suicide watch room. And so they had cameras in there so that they could watch me to make sure I didn't do anything. Um, and what worked for the most for me was there was this one staff member that would slip me like little like notes and like papers and stuff. And they were all just about how much you can love yourself and how worth it you are for yourself and the thing is you just have to find it for yourself not for somebody else you can't find it for a boy you can't find it for anybody you have to find it for yourself by looking for it inside yourself wow how come he would slip you how come he couldn't talk to you because you were locked in there yeah so they would lock you in your rooms at night and i couldn't sleep at night because i have really bad insomnia yeah so I'm awake usually all night. Yes, <laughs> And so just like um, around 2 in the morning, they would just like slide me little notes mm-hmm. under the door and so that I would have something to do so that I could just like... So jump. this is a guy who's walking around right now who probably has no idea the impact he had on you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And it was something super small. Probably something he could have got fired for, but... That's a... So if, let's say... <clears throat> I'm going to go over a few, few statistics, and then we can uh, go back to a few of these questions. Uh, and these are kind of vague. Obviously, it's tough to get statistics on this, but... Um, about 20 percent of, of teenagers have thought about seriously thought about uh, suicide, committing suicide. Two to three percent of all uh, teens <clears throat> have needed medical attention for their attempt. Um, some of the biggest risk factors are usually like a psychiatric disorder, which could include depression, um, loss. Uh, a loss of a family member or like a conflict with somebody that they love, you know. Um, history of sexual abuse is like third on the list, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, problems with drugs and alcohol, uh, medical conditions. Sometimes when people find out that they're pregnant or they have an STD and it changes their life quite a bit, they uh, that raises their odds. Being bullied, uh, you mentioned that. Um, is high on the list. Uh, men, like I said, being uncertain of your sexual orientation, that, that being uncertain or being anything LGBTQ raises it up to about three times higher than, and that, that is a huge number, which is just very sad. Um, family members, other family members who have committed suicide would raise your odds. History of a mood disorder. Um, some of what would you say some of the warning signs are if you were to talk to parents? Like you have great parents. Um, I they they're, they're like as transparent and as cool as people get, right? And so you can't look back on it and say they blew it. But in any way, you know, you can't say that they miss some things, but what kind of things maybe could, or warning signs that you, that a kid would look at? Like, you, you know, one thing on here that you mentioned was they talk, well, actually the number one thing is they talk or write about suicide, and you were talking about how you listen to music with a lot of death, mm-hmm. and can you think of anything else that you would, you would look at somebody and say, ooh, that, that kind of is a red flag for... Um, when making a lot of jokes about it, like, hmm. oh Seeing my how gosh. people would respond. Yeah. yeah, like, if you just, like, oh, I wish I were dead, like, haha, laugh then, about it. Um, they're usually not kidding if they're thinking or saying that in, like, a joking tone. Yeah. So. That's a, that's an interesting one. Why? That's, um. It's, like, a subtle hint. Yeah, and you're kind of testing want. the water. Yeah. Seeing how people are going to, that's interesting. Because yeah. um, a lot of people are going to say, that person is just trying to get attention. And I guess if you're trying to get attention that bad, it probably doesn't matter. You probably are in some need of some help. Um, mm-hmm. Social withdrawal, mood swings, uh, increase in alcohol and drugs, feeling trapped or hopeless, eating and sleeping changes. Either more, Did you have to go through any of that where you slept more or less? You never sleep. <laughs> but I blame half of it on you because I remember Macy complaining about never being able to sleep and then she went on a uh, trip to California on a bus <laughs> and we watched her on 
Instagram with a whole pack of five-hour <laughs> energies pounding them. And so I'm not going to let you totally up the hook on that. One. You deserved a little of that. But um, did you notice a decrease or increase in either of those, eating, sleeping? Um, yeah, for me, my sleeping increases a lot. Like, I can go from, like, going, like, a week with, like, two hours of sleep every night to sleeping, like, three days in a row. Wow. Okay. And so, could your parents have picked up on that? Well, they kind of did, actually. I mean, you were you were asleep for 12 hours, and then and that's kind of, I mean, was it them who decided to take you into the... Mm-hmm. Doctor, yeah. Um, self-destructive behavior. You explained that that you mm-hmm. did that. Um, giving things away uh, without really any reason is a high indicator. Um, people being anxious and agitated. Um, anyway, I was going to say that. Ask you this: There's a kid out. Let's say there's a kid out there listening to this right now, who is that? in that dark, dark boat where he feels like he doesn't fit in, feels like um, hopeless, and um, starts thinking about maybe ways or making a plan of suicide, what would you say to him? If you had had five minutes to just sit down and talk to him, what would it be? I would say I love you, one, because I know what it's like to feel like you don't deserve it. Um, and I would say, even though I don't know you, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know who you are, I love you and you're important to me because you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't have a body, you wouldn't be here if you weren't meant to impact somebody's life for the better. Wow. That's awesome. That's. What would you say to a parent who basically saw a bunch of these indicators, kind of started thinking, I think my kid might be suicidal. What would you get, what advice would you give them? I would say don't all of a sudden just like make the kid feel like they're drowning in like just like you're completely controlling them, like you're endlessly hugging them, like Don't make them feel like they're drowning because all of a sudden all the attention's on them and they don't know what to do. Because they're like, you don't give me any attention, so why are you giving me all this attention? So then that's going to make them clam up. Tell me about this. Um, Suicide kind of, this is how I explain it when I talk about it a little bit, but suicide becomes kind of like a friend Mm -hmm. that you can go to at any moment and end everything, Mm -hmm. take all your pain away. Now, a parent that comes in and steps onto the scene, gut senses parents are going to go, I'm going to take all the knives, I'm going to take all the guns, I'm going to take all the da-da-da, I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to, and I've heard a lot of people say, hold on a minute, you're taking away my friend. But that's what a parent wants to do. They want to say, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen. But it backfires because you always have that button that you can push to take away all your pain, and then all of a sudden the parent comes in and says, would you feel like that could actually push somebody the wrong way? Yes. I It could totally push somebody the wrong way. Because it's, it's weird to say it now, but when you're in that really dark place, you like it. You like to be depressed. You don't want to get out of it. Because, How come? 
because you feel like you're comfortable there. Mm. You're like, this is my dark corner. I'm going to stay here. And I want to be here by myself because nobody else understands me except for me. Because you feel like you're the only person in the world that could ever feel like that. Wow. That's, uh, that's actually super sad to hear. Um, so like even if, say you were in that moment when you were feeling like left out and maybe a group of kids came up and wanted to be your friend that might have taken you out of that darkness into the light, that would have actually been taking you into kind of uncharted territory where you wouldn't, where you would seemingly be happier, but you wouldn't be maybe. Mm-hmm. What about the, what about the teenager friends out there? that say one of your friends starts making jokes, um, starts uh, withdrawing, starts doing some of these, these signs, what, uh, what a, what's your advice to them? Like as a friend or? As a friend. Somebody that you know, somebody that you're close to is <clears throat> going through that. Honestly, I would just show them that I would be open with them and just say, I understand. I don't know what you're feeling right now because not everybody feels the exact same emotions. Everybody has their own spectrum of emotions. So I understand, though, the feeling you have. And so I want you to help me to understand you better. So just talk to me about it. And does it always have to be about suicide? I mean, going on a hike... Or something, not even talking about it. Um, I mean, the topic doesn't always have to be that, does it? I mean, when you're, when you're, uh, like you said, you don't want to be smothered. Mm-hmm. Like you still want people to treat you like you're, you're not some um, patient of a psych ward all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But um, there, ha- I would imagine, has to be some sort of happy medium in there. Where yeah. You're just being friends. Like I think it's pretty insightful that you're whoever your friend was, wanted to play cards with you. Mm-hmm. And obviously part of that was to keep you awake, but also probably to keep you calm down a little bit too. Um, I've got one more question for you that I want, but before I do, do you um, have anything else you want to say about the whole um, process you went through, about anything that, that you have on, you know, in that brain of yours that's been rattling around that you want to spit out? Um, I definitely felt like, uh, I don't know how to say it, like, hmm. I know who I loved, but I didn't know how they loved me back because it didn't feel real. But you have to let yourself believe that you can be loved and you have to love yourself. And that doesn't come overnight. That takes time for you to forgive yourself first. So I lied. I've got two more things to say. (laughs) Um, How have you changed the most then since that night? Um, Since that night, I can... This is going to sound like really like small to somebody else, but to me, it's a big thing. So I have, I used to have a mirror in my room and I 
wouldn't, I wasn't able to stand in front of it and I couldn't look at myself and I couldn't even say like, you look good today. Like I couldn't even think that to myself. And now I can like stand in my mirror and like look at it and I go, I feel like I'm beautiful today. Like I feel so good today. And like, I just, I can see like there's actually like a light in my eyes. Like I can feel happy. Like I don't feel like I'm forcing it. How did you get there? I mean, like how, what, I mean, what did you do? Did you have to, like, what, did you just work on your thoughts or what was? Um, I had somebody, (coughs) Brian, (laughs) tell me (laughs) that I just needed to believe in myself a little bit more than I was. I just had to give myself the, like, the props for being me. Just thinking how I think is not bad. It's good. Like, I am not stupid. Like, I'm smart. I just had to feel more confident and more positive in myself and see it in a more positive way. Awesome. I remember uh, you and I built a Lamborghini together. Mm-hmm. Painted it pink. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a model that took uh, quite a few weeks to put together. Did did uh, I didn't finish Buddha. You we did when you finished painting your Buddha. <laughs> Macy, the problem with Macy was when we were doing all these things is she get about I think she wanted to have every corner of the art room with a project going on. <laughs> and she'd show up and see somebody else had been working on something and I think she'd get FOMO or something. <laughs> Who built this without me? <laughs> but uh no you but do you remember what the Lamborghini stood for? Yes, it was because I, because you wanted a Lamborghini, and it's to see that I'm worth a Lamborghini. Like, I'm worth so much more than I think that I should treat myself how I should be treated. Like, I should think the good things about myself that are there. I'm trying to help you see you were a Lamborghini. You always were. Yeah. You know, you weren't a Hyundai Sonata. Sorry to all you Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> What, what kind of car do you drive, Maddie? Acura um, Integra or whatever it is? Um, <laughs> no, but you always have been. And uh, that's, it, to be honest, it was you were an easy person to help see because you have so many things going for you. Macy, you'll always be one of my favorite um, favorite people I've ever worked with. When we, when we talk about uh, my career and my experiences, your name always comes. In fact, when we started saying... Let's try this podcast thing. Let's uh, give it a shot. <laughs> Maddie's first thing was, let's get Macy. You know? <laughs> I love but that. I got one more question for you. Okay. And um, when you think of this, yeah, I've asked you what you would tell a parent, what you would tell your friend or whatever. That night, back when you were 15, you're sitting around the edge of your bed, you got your pills in your hand, and you're ready to call it quits, Right. Pretend like Macy of today can jump into that scene for a couple minutes, have a talk with little young Macy. I want to hear. I want to hear you say it like you're talking to her, not like say I would say I love you. I want to hear what you would say when you grabbed a hold of you, you know, before you gave yourself a hug and said, "What, what would you say to you?" The tunnel doesn't end here. There's a light coming. It's going to take a minute to get to it, 
and it's not going to be easy and you're going to want to give up the entire way but you can't you have to keep going you have to keep trying even if it feels like you'll never get back up you're a superstar BC you really are <laughs> you are a superstar I am so excited that you're going into this field I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to um, become different people because you get your hands on them and you're going to show them. I've seen you in horrible situations. I've seen you lose a close friend. I've seen you uh, deal with some sad, you know, your injuries went right in the middle of dance time. I've seen you go through. And I have never seen you with a bad attitude. Never seen you. I've seen you sad because I've seen, <laughs> you know, because things have happened, but I've never seen you talk negatively about anybody you are you're a special person and um i think that people hearing your story is going to be super helpful so we really appreciate you coming on thank you all right macy we will uh talk we will end this and uh, talk soon